God's Word now, and Deb's going to read from Acts chapter 16, uh, beginning at verse 11. Uh, on the Bible, it's just written, Holy Bible, in the front, it's page 784. And that's Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 11. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, Pete. And it's behind me. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samarathras, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message and when she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Thank you. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you about the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these are the Jews and are throwing uh, our city into uproar by advocating customs customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains became loose. The jailer woke up and when, when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and felt trembling before Paul and Silas. And when he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the orders, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, 
They beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want us and now do they want to come and get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escort them from the prison, requesting that they leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with their brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word and giving us your spirit. And we pray that your spirit now would be uh, taking the words of scripture and informing our minds and transforming our hearts and our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's good to make plans to reach specific people with the gospel, um, to be uh, thinking about particular people, to be uh, praying for them, and to be asking God that he would open up an opportunity for us to talk with them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's really important, to plan for those who we'd like to reach with the gospel. I remember one time the church that I was a part of uh, at that particular time uh, was planning a, um, an evangelistic event. Uh, we wanted it to be a big evangelistic event uh, to which we could invite our non-Christian friends and family members and uh, all sorts of people who we knew and we'd been praying for uh, to come along and to hear the gospel. And so we planned it out. We, we had the, uh, the, the gifted um, gospel preacher. Uh, he was all lined up. Uh, we booked the venue and uh, we invited friends and the gospel was preached. I don't know how many lives were changed uh, by God on that night, but I do know of one life that was changed. Uh, it was a man. And he wasn't a friend of anyone else who had invited him there. In fact, nobody had invited him to attend. He worked for the venue. <laughs> Uh, he was the guy that uh, got there early to open up the doors for us, uh, kept an eye on things during the, uh, the night and stayed around to lock up after we'd all left. But uh, in all of that, he'd actually got to hear the talk and he tuned in and God opened his heart. How about that? How about that? We, we had our plans and he wasn't part of our plans. But God used our plans to reach the person whom God had planned to reach with the gospel. And it's this kind of interaction between our plans and God's plans and God's plans superseding our plans that we uh, see you know, permeating through the, the book of Acts. We saw it a little bit last week, didn't we? Uh, when uh, we saw how Paul and his co-workers... Uh, they had been uh, on uh, the second missionary journey. They had been travelling through uh, the region at the time, which was referred, uh, which we know as um, as modern-day Turkey, uh, which, uh, by the way, is uh, uh, is the, the 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 western extremity of the continent of Asia. There was a little Roman province in it called Asia, but the whole continent uh, is, of course, Asia. 
And we saw how God had, had changed their itinerary. They had their planned itinerary, but God's plan was different. And so they found themselves being um, blocked in terms of particular cities that they wanted to get into. And they found themselves uh, guided and directed, almost pushed along, uh, to uh, a city which was on the, on the coast, on the, um, on the coast, the seaport city of Troas, which, to put that into some perspective for you, um, geographically, it's about 110 kilometres south of Gallipoli. So that uh, puts that into some context. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 9, because of a special guidance, a vision that Paul had received, uh, Paul and the mission team of, um, <clears throat> of uh, Silas and Timothy and Luke and Paul, they decided from Troas to keep on travelling west and sailing across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia which meant that they would now take the gospel of Jesus into Europe. Now, in one sense, um, that was no big deal. Uh, in the first century, uh, lots of people travelled between uh, Western Asia and Eastern Europe, from you know, modern-day Turkey across to Greece and Macedonia and so on. Uh, from Troas, it only took a few days uh, to get across the Aegean Sea. If you uh, went up further north, north uh, uh, to the Straits of Gallipoli, it's just a very, very short uh, journey across. Uh, and there was no huge difference also between the cultures and uh, between the language on either side of the Aegean Sea. Most people uh, spoke Greek. And so in one sense, this trip across the sea was no big deal. However, in the book of Acts, Luke uh, really does seem to make a thing out of these geographical markers because Luke uh, tells us the story of the spread of the gospel, you know, starting in Jerusalem and then moving out to Judea and into Samaria and then into Gentile regions and then into all of the world so that here in Acts chapter 16, the gospel jumps continents. And the very first people were converted on European soil. So, who were these people? Well, some of them were people whom the mission team of Paul and Silas and Timothy Luke would not have planned for. Would not have planned for them. But in Acts chapter 16... From verse 11, they did plan to get to the city of Philippi. Now, let me read to you verses 11 and 12, if you've got that open in your Bibles there, in Acts chapter 16, uh, where uh, Luke tells us, um, so he's talking in the first person plural, he says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day into Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. So they've set out from Troas. Uh, they stopped overnight in, on the island of Samothrace, which is about a third of the way across the Aegean Sea, and then the next morning they set sail again from the island of Samothrace 
for the Macedonian seaport of Neapolis, which means, by the way, new city. <laughs> About 15 kilometres inland from Neapolis uh, was the city of Philippi. Philippi, uh, which was named after, by, for anyone who's interested in history, was named after the father of Alexander the Great, uh, whose name, of course, was Philip, which means horse, by the way, uh, in Greek. But Paul describes Philippi as being, or lover of horses, actually. Um, so Paul describes Philippi, though, as being a Roman colony. Did you notice that? Which means uh, it's a little bit different from other places. It's, it's not just a city which was ruled by Rome because, uh, you know, the whole region, the whole area, that part of the world was, in the first century, ruled by Rome. Uh, no, it's... To be a Roman colony meant that it was like a, a small slice of Rome which was uh, in Macedonia. And so it was a... Uh, it was a city that had Roman laws. Uh, it was a city that had Roman um, customs. It was a city who had, which had lots of Roman people living there, especially retired military personnel in the city of Philippi. So think Little Italy. That's what it was like. And that's important for what happens uh, in the rest of Acts chapter 16 where Luke tells us three stories of people's lives being changed by the Lord. So let's have a look at these, shall we? Uh, the first is a businesswoman whose name is Lydia. Uh, pick it up in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women gathered there, one of those listings, listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. But the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, it seems that uh, there were not very many Jews that were living in Philippi. Remember, when Paul would go to a new city to preach the gospel, who, who would he go to first? he would go to the Jews, and normally that meant going to the, uh, a synagogue. Now, to form a synagogue, uh, you only needed legally um, in Jewish law to have two Jewish men. Uh, that was enough to form a, uh, ten Jewish men uh, to form a synagogue. It seems there was no synagogue. It seems there was no ten Jewish men uh, because they had to actually, on the Sabbath, uh, Paul and his companions had to leave the city, leave the city of Philippi, and go and find the informal synagogue, which was a, a group of women, um, Jewish women and God-fearing uh, women, God-fearing Gentiles, who were praying together by the side of a river. And one of these was Lydia. Now, where was Lydia from? Well, she was from the city of Thyatira. And if you look in your maps, you can see where that is. Uh, Thyatira was a city uh, not in Europe, but Thyatira was a city back on the other side of the Aegean Sea, back where Paul and his travelling companions had just sailed from. And probably where 
she first learnt uh, about the, uh, the God of the Jews, about Israel's God. Now, she's a businesswoman and she uh, trades, uh, she imports um, purple cloth and sells it. Uh, purple cloth, which was a, a boutique product for wealthy households. Now, um, Thyatira had an industry in, um, in, in extracting uh, this reddish purple dye from the roots of a particular plant that grew in the area and uh, that, um, uh, that sold very well. It was a uh, boutique product. And by the way, they were still uh, doing that uh, in the Thyatira region up until the end of the 19th century when, uh, when chemical, they were using it for, to, to dye carpets, believe it or not. You know, that, no surprise there. Uh, and uh, they did that. They were using this root... Um, this dye from this root until chemical dyes took over. But notice in verses 13 to 15 how her life was changed. That is how she became a Christian. Three things. Number one, Paul spoke the gospel. Number two, Lydia listened to the gospel Number three, God opened her heart to respond to the gospel. You see that? You see, friends, when we share the gospel, uh, we need to be faithful in sharing the gospel and truthful in sharing the gospel. But it's not our cleverness that does the job, is it? Uh, nor is it the cleverness uh, or something innate, uh, something within the person who, about them, that hears the gospel. No, it's only actually by God. It's only by God's spirit with it, working within the person to, to open up their hearts, to change their hearts, to believe and to respond uh, to the gospel. And that's what's happened here. Paul spoke the gospel. Lydia listened to the gospel and God opened her heart to the gospel. And what we have is the first person to be converted, as far as we know, on European soil. A business lady named Lydia from back on the other side of the Aegean Sea. Now, it seems, it seems that Lydia, um, from my reading of it, that she's, she has based her business in Philippi, it doesn't seem like she goes backwards and forths, um, you know, in an itinerant sort of way. She seems to have based her business in Philippi uh, because in verse 15 she has a house, and not just a house, but she has a household, a household of people, family and perhaps servants as well, who also now get to hear the gospel and are baptised. So that's the first story. Secondly, Luke tells us of another woman uh, and she is very different to Lydia. Uh, she's not um, an independent person who makes money. Uh, she's actually a slave girl, a slave girl who makes no money for herself but plenty for others. Um, we read about her in verse 16. 
Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. That's pretty good, isn't it? (laughs) You'd think. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, it's interesting how Satan knows the truth about Paul and his travelling companions uh, and their message. And uh, in the original uh, Greek, um, this slave girl is said to have uh, a pythonic spirit, a python spirit, a snake spirit, uh, which is uh, connected with the, um, the false Greek god Apollo. And it was by this python spirit that she made her owners a fortune by telling others about their fortunes, by predicting their fortunes for a price. Now, um, you'd think she was good advertising, but, um, you know, I mean, why, why did Paul object so strongly to her announcing um, to everyone that these men served the most high God and telling them that they had the, the message that could save people? I wonder why Paul objected to that. It does sound like great advertising on the surface, but not if people then associate uh, Paul and the mission team and their gospel uh, with the evil spirit and with Apollo, uh, two different concepts that um, people would, um, uh, uh, would be presented there. And besides, uh, she needed to be freed from her bondage which is what Paul did as he drove out that spirit from her. And so Paul's plan was to reach Jews and God-fearers at the place of prayer, but instead it was the demon-possessed slave girl whose life was changed. Now, uh, Luke doesn't tell us explicitly uh, what happened um, for the slave girl, doesn't actually say uh, whether or not she came to um, believe in the gospel of Jesus, Uh, although it does seem natural that um, with such a dramatic uh, change in her life and being known by the the others, the new believers, uh, that she may well be cared for um, by Lydia and Lydia's household. But what we do know is that just just as she has now lost the spirit, her owners have now lost their money spinner. And they're now very angry about that. Very angry. Pick it up at verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. 
They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. What terrible people they are. Something's got to be done about them. Now, what are the lies in that? Well, firstly, who is it who's throwing the city into an uproar? It's not Paul and Silas, is it? And secondly, at that time, actually, Jewish customs, and Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke would have been seen as advocating Jewish customs by preaching the gospel, but at that time, Jewish customs were actually not unlawful uh, for Romans at that time. But their big lie is what they don't say. Their real reason is that they can no longer exploit this poor, demon-possessed girl for profit. That's what it's about. All the rest is just a smokescreen. Now, we're not actually told what happened to Timothy and Luke at this point in time because the story focuses, it's Paul and Silas who are... Uh, taken before the crowd, perhaps because their of their their Jewishness was uh, uh, because of their Jewishness, um, but uh, we're not actually told. But in verses 22 to 24, Paul and Silas were uh, severely flogged. Severely flogged. Um, they were thrown into prison, where the, the the prison warden, the jailer, was commanded to quote guard them. Carefully. Guard them carefully. That's maximum security, folks. That's the inner cell. That's feet in stocks. Although, that's a bit futile, don't you think? I mean, you know, if the God that they represent has just freed the slave girl from her supernatural bondage, then why on earth would they think that their God couldn't, couldn't save Paul and Silas uh, from their physical bondage? Which is exactly what happens. For later that night, some very strange things happened in that prison. Number one, uh, Paul and Silas, in chains, flesh uh, torn by the floggings, instead of feeling sorry for themselves and instead of whinging and complaining, what were they doing? They were singing hymns. They were singing songs about the, about the person and the character and the love of, of God and they were praying to him, possibly praying that God would miraculously free them. <laughs> And they were singing and they were praying. You, can, you can't imagine hymns of praise coming from a Roman prison cell, especially from maximum security. But that was what was happening and they were doing so so that the other prisoners could actually hear. That's strange. That's weird. And if they did pray for release, which I suspect that they would have, God's re- response was immediate and was dramatic. A violent earthquake shook the prison and broke the the locks on the gates and broke the the locks on the chains. That's also strange, isn't it? 
What a night. Something else strange is that though they had the opportunity, Paul and Silas decided not to escape. Verse 27. The jailer woke up. No surprises there. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now, tough job being a jailer, knowing that if there's a prison escape, your best option is to use your sword on yourself. That's a tough one, a, a tough, tough job. But they've already saved him, haven't they? I mean, they've already saved him from, from death by not, uh, not escaping. And yet he now asks, what must I do to be saved? What's he talking about? Well, he's thinking about what has just happened. He's thinking about what he's perhaps heard about these, these men, that these, one, these men could, could show you the way to be saved. He's thinking about their God. What must I do to be saved? You'd love it if someone asked you that question, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's happened to me just once or twice, or two or three times in, uh, in my life. But what do you do? Well, of course, they share with him about the Lord Jesus Christ. Him and his whole household. So that as this night progressed, they ended up sharing a time of Christian fellowship with the jailer and his family who had turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, had believed the gospel. Verse 34. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. How about that? Let's just allow a moment or two to let that soak in, shall we? You know, Paul and Silas, golden opportunity to escape, but preferred to stay put so that they could care for the prison warden and tell him about Jesus. Would we do that? Would we uh, sacrifice our own opportunities for the sake that someone else might be saved? Would we do that? That's what you call putting the gospel first. That's what you call putting other people's salvation before ourselves. And in an interesting twist, do you remember that uh, Paul and Silas uh, were accused of um, advocating customs which were unlawful for Romans? Remember that was the accusation against them? Well, one thing which is clearly unlawful for Romans 
is for Romans to convict and punish Roman citizens without a fair trial. And Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Wasn't they that were causing people to break Roman laws? It was the magistrates who had broken Roman laws. And they had to eat some humble pie um, the next morning by personally going to the jail and personally escorting Paul and Silas out of prison. Now, Paul uh, doesn't normally um, stand on his rights. He uh, normally puts aside his own rights and privileges for the sake of others. But there is a time when you, you do actually stand on your rights. And, you, and Paul here is saying, hey, you actually can't treat us like that. We are Roman citizens. We deserve to be treated in accordance with the law. And perhaps by doing that, he's setting a little bit of a precedent uh, for the believers who he would soon leave behind, that they actually need to be treated according to the law as well and not be abused in that way. Some time ago, a friend of mine told me that he was planning to start a church which he described as being that he wanted to start a boutique church was his terminology um, where he was wanting to target just one class of person um, who he would like to reach with the gospel and it wasn't to do with race or language it was to do with social status uh, high social status um, he thankfully he changed his mind on that which was great um, here in Acts chapter 16, uh, we see three stories of people whose lives were changed. Changed by God. And who would have thought? Lydia and her household. Lydia, who came from the other side of the Aegean, where Paul and his team had just come from. Uh, the demon-possessed slave girl. Uh, not the person whose life they planned to reach as they were heading towards the place of prayer. And then the jailer. They didn't plan to go to prison, let alone share Christ with the, with the one man who represented the system that was imprisoning them. And from a human perspective, all of this just seems somewhat messy, but it was all God's plan. And it encourages us uh, to not only plan to tell certain people about Jesus, which we should do, which we must do, but also to seize the unexpected opportunities, to seize the unplanned opportunities with the unexpected people that God brings into our lives. Like in the city of Philippi, where there was a now a brand new baby church uh, meeting uh, in Lydia's house, the first church in Europe. Small, diverse, not especially boutique, 
except perhaps for Lydia's purple cloth. (laughs) But people trusting in the death and the resurrection of Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. Good sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. A church which uh, next week we're going to see a little bit about how they got on afterwards as we uh, dip into the letter um, which uh, years later Paul wrote to them. So next week uh, the plan is to uh, a bit of an overview of the letter to the Philippians. That's the plan. Let's pray. Father, you are a remarkable God and your uh, plans are always better than ours. And Father, uh, it's you who alone uh, works in people's hearts to turn them uh, towards yourself. And it's you who puts us into situations and circumstances which um, to us seem messy but uh, are used by you to reach people who we wouldn't otherwise reach. We pray for ourselves that we would be men and women who have such a heart for the gospel and such a heart for other people that we would be longing to and willing uh, to take any and every opportunity to share Jesus that others might through us come to know the way to be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.